Hey, it's Mike Crawley, the host of You'll Probably Agree. Before I start the episode, I wanted to give some information on the movie I'm talking about. I speak with the director of the movie Ghosts of the Void, a small independent film about a couple's relationship who falls apart and are being stalked by mass strangers. You can catch this film at the Gene Sisko Film Center if you're living in Chicago on Monday, August 31st and tickets for it will be available in the description of the video. You can also catch the movie online on Wednesday, August 16th as part of the Popcorn Frights Film Festival. Having said that, and you know where you can find the film, let's start the episode to see what I thought of Ghosts of the Void and why it's an interesting horror film that further elevates the genre as many others do. Okay, enjoy. Hello, everybody. Welcome to You'll Probably Agree. Today, I have Jason Miller, the director of Ghosts of the Void on. Jason, thank you so much for coming on and doing this. Yeah, thanks for having me. Yeah. So what made you want to tell this story? Yeah, this, well, first of all, this story, I think this story started as, um, you know, honestly, it was kind of a practical thing. It was just like, I want to make a movie that I can make, you know, um, been trying to get projects off the ground that were a little bit above what a first-time director is usually given and so finally I kind of took a step back and said okay what's the simplest story I could tell I was sitting in my car after work and said well tell a story that takes us in a car why would people be stuck in a car that's not moving and eventually started coming up with the idea that the you know two people being evicted and kind of having to sleep in their car and what could happen to them under those conditions um, once I had that element of it, it became very personal for me. And I knew that that was the story I had to tell was this story of two people kind of struggling to get on their feet and get out of debt and get into the situation. Um, so yeah, I knew I wanted to be horror cause I love horror. Um, I love how horror can use, you can use that medium of horror to sort of tap into anxieties and fears that are, that are real and that was a real anxiety and fear that I've been familiar with is that those sleepless nights of what am I going to do? How am I going to, how am I going to get, you know, how am I going to pay rent due tomorrow? What am I going to do? Um, so it's like translating that into a horror story became the, the, the main objective for me. Yeah. Cause I was noticing a lot of this movie, it takes place just in one location, which is the car. How did you go about figuring just to figure uh, just to have it in that one place? Uh, that was, that was a lot of, uh, a lot of work. That was tricky. Um, made a lot of, you know, um, revisions to the script, just trying to find how, how do you keep this story going? How do you keep it? You know, I, um, you realize very quickly, it's like, okay, if I, if I ramp up the tension too much, too fast, they're just going to leave. Yeah. Um, if I, ramp it up in a such a way that the audience is aware something might be going on but they're not get a little bit of time but not a lot um you know and so eventually it's like well how do i keep them in the lot once they know that something's wrong what's going to keep them from leaving so you're just building it up step by step you know one one scene at a time you're just trying to create reasons why they have to be here and they have to they can't leave they want to stay um and so, yeah, it was just a lot of just going back and forth in the script, trying to find that balance and find that, uh, you know, find that line. 
Right. Yeah. Fascinating. Yeah. Because I did, I did like how there was like a tonal balance in it between horror and then between drama. How did you mm -hmm. find the right sort of balance between those sort of uh, categories? Yeah. Um, well, I, I, again, like I knew the theme had to play a big part of it. Once I, once I had this idea of this, these characters being evicted, that was the story that I had to tell. Um, so there was, you know, it was, a, there was a lot in the script of just, trying to motivate a lot of the the horror that they're experiencing with something that is they're experiencing they have experienced it in their life previously um and so there you know i tried to kind of find that these ways where you know something might happen that creeps them out and kind of starts getting weirder and weirder that's then referencing back to one of the flashbacks that's kind of indicating what this kind of fear might symbolize for them at this moment. Um, but I think it really started, I really started finding that with the actors because mm -hmm. they brought so much to it. Michael and Tedra, they brought so much to it that I, you know, I knew that I had some good stuff with them. And so just, you start, start leaning into that. Um, you know, when you're shooting a film at this, this budget level and there's a lot of restrictions, you, you don't always get exactly what you want from, you know, in terms of production value, in terms of like all the, the shots I want and all the different elements I want. So, you know, I'm looking at it thinking like, okay, I've had to sh cut my shot list in half. I'm not going to get to do this really creepy liminal thing I wanted to do over here, but Tedra and Mike were kill killing it. So I'm going to work with that. I'm going to lean into that. And, and so, yeah, the drama became a bigger element in many ways because of that because of the restrictions and because of their performances. Yeah. Yeah. How did you go about finding them? Cause they were great in the movie. Uh, yeah, we just did a casting process. Um, uh, the casting company in Chicago. Um, they came from, I think Tedros came from uh, New York. Uh, Michael is based in Atlanta, I believe. I think mm -hmm. he still is. Um, so yeah, yeah. They auditioned and we had a, we had a couple, we had a lot of auditions um, for it. And they were all really good. We got a lot of really good stuff. It was a tough choice, but um, I think I made the right ones. Yeah, the, yeah, no, you did. They, they were great in it. And I noticed the movie is methodically paced. How did you come up with the structure of the film? Uh, yeah, well, again, it's kind of the you know back to like just trying to make sure each scene um, is adding to the dilemma but not so much so that i escalate it to a point that i can't control it anymore um because yeah like you know once things get too crazy there's only so much you can do before you either kill them off or <laughs> let them run away um so it's always like yeah just trying to find like ways that it's they don't want to leave but then also trying to find that where each thing that happens to them is a little bit more tense than the last and it's and is adding to their drama and their their you know divide that they're having between them um so you know yeah you, you just each scene just you have to add another element even if it's very subtle and nuanced yeah yeah what made you to hook the audience what made you decide to hook the audience and tyler and jen's relationship more than the horror elements of the uh, mass strangers of the film, or at least that be the case in the beginning. Yeah, 
Yeah, I think, uh, you know, I think if you're going to put two people in a car for the movie, um, that really has to be the driving thing is what they're, how they're relating to each other. Um, you know, it's, yeah, there's, there's just, you're very limited in, in where you can take things. So um, to le- leaning into character, it becomes essential for that. Yeah. Uh, how do you think artists like Tyler and Jen survive on their own? Do artists really get properly con- compensated enough? Because that seemed to be what their issue was, is that they, you know, were artists, but they couldn't survive. And now this is why they're living in this, this, yeah. you know, truck. Yeah, I, I mean, I think it's just it's just difficult to, you know, get ahead in any arts, any anything that, um, you know, filmmaking. Obviously, is my personal one. Um, it it takes a long time to get to the point where you can do it for a living, and you have to, there. There's a certain amount of privilege that you have to kind of come with in order to even pursue a career in filmmaking or in writing or in any of those things that, you know, there's a certain privilege to having the time and the headspace to even, you know, take that on. Um, it can be very hard and it can be very stressful. And um, yeah, you know, and it's, as far as like, yeah, artists getting compensated, you know, it, that's, that's a tough thing. I think in any, anything, you know, filmmaking, especially it's, it's really hard because, you know, you, no one's going to give you a lot of money to go make your first movie. No one's going to pay you that much to just do it for the first time. Um, and nor, nor should they, because I don't think that would be a very financially you know, wise thing. And nobody would get to make movies if they did that, because the, the, the you know, the, the stakes would be so high. Um, so, yeah, you have to kind of be willing to make those sacrifices. Yeah. And where did the idea of the mass strangers come from? Yeah, I went through so many different ideas for what might happen to them. Um, and I wrote, I wrote, there was, you know, the first draft of the script was completely different. And this was, the producers of the movie didn't read this, this first draft. That was just a complete bonkers, like, nightmare scenario where everything is kind of a hallucination from within the car um i eventually kind of came to the idea that well i i wrote that script and then sometime later i wrote it just to have something in my back pocket for like a really low budget feature and then i just some time later i tried to i decided to pull it back up and this time i was just in a different mood i guess and said let me just do something straightforward let me do like the strangers in a parking lot you know it's just a straight thriller and I wrote that, um, but I found that I just, I wasn't really satisfied with that. And so I, I started kind of finding that middle ground. Um, so the mass strangers went from being just kind of, you know, your, your kind of typical thriller threat to, to sort of a, a vague kind of um, concept, I guess. Yeah. And it's weird. When, when, what, what do you think, without giving much away, what do you think the Matt Strangers wanted and why did they want it? Uh, you know, I, uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, I don't know how to give things away. Um, now, I think that they ultimately kind of represent um, Jen's realization of 
the sacrifices that she's going to have to make in order to move on with her life. Mm. Um, you know, and well, I'm not going to say that because that would be too much spoiler, but um, <laughs> yeah, it, I think, I think that's pretty much it. You know, it's, it's a matter of, you know, what they want is to make her face the reality of her situation. Um, mm. So, yeah. yeah. Do you relate more to Tyler or Jen, or do you kind of relate to them both? I think in different ways I relate to them both. Both, um, you know, Tyler. Tyler's Tyler's very problematic, so I, I don't want to go too far in saying that I relate <laughs> to him. Um, but I definitely relate to Tyler's, you know, frustration with with the creative process and feeling like he wants to give up. Um, the way that sort of manifests in him becomes, you know, a very troubling thing. Um, but in terms of like just the worry and fear, I, I think I relate a little bit to Jin. Um, I think you can almost kind of see them both as two sides of the same personality. Um, and the ending then becomes a I guess you could say like a like a representation of, of what we what we give up for. Yeah. Uh, yeah, because know, for, it. Yeah, I'm sorry. No, yeah, no, just what we give up for, you know, a life in this society. Yeah, yeah, because it seemed like their their relationship was kind of toxic, mm-hmm. and they kind of had to leave each other at a certain point. But you could see why they were so close to one another at the same time. You know, they're both artists who want to do something and of course uh yeah M- michael's character was particularly hurt when you know when tyler basically uh was told by his girlfriend or she wasn't trying to tell him but the the her, his book wasn't so good <laughs> yeah. and you know he basically had a full-on breakdown over that i don't know do you yeah. think if they left each other earlier things would have been better for the two of them maybe um you know, like for me, I, I kind of, one, one aspect of it I was really interested in was this idea of mental health yeah. and, you know, kind of exploring, I think, what I believe to be the fact that mental health is not taken seriously enough in this country. Yeah. It's still kind of a luxury. It's still something that you, you, can, you can seek out when you have the means and the time and the wherewithal to do that. When you're in situations like what Jen and Tyler are, you often don't have those. Um, resources and and so you know what I was kind of think getting to with these characters were these are two people that are just one step away from figuring their life out you know they're just they're they're one right medication prescription one right therapy session away from having that outlet um, but they don't have that. And so they try to give it to each other. They try to be each other's um, source, um, but it doesn't work. And you know, Tyler ends up kind of going into alcohol. Jen just kind of ends up spiraling into what she spirals into. Um, so yeah, I think, I think that was more than anything, more than, more than the saying that they would be better off if they had just kind of left each other early on, I think they would both be better off if they would have taken some time for themselves 
to work on themselves. Yeah. Um, despite their despite their problems, despite their financial situation. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's a great point because mental health really, it's still kind of like uh, it's something that you have to be able to afford a right. lot of times these days. Or, you know, if you're on the right health care plan, you can get it. But, yeah, for them, it's like how are they going to even be able to find a doctor when they can't afford the bills? And right. It becomes increasingly difficult for them. Um so what did so what do you think the title of the movie Ghost of the Void mean? Is it the guilt that we carry with the relationship and the baggage that comes back to haunt us? Uh yeah, it could be that. It um it could be a couple of things. It's interesting because that wasn't the original title of the movie. The original title was The Lot. Um and so very simple. Um but the producers were like, you know, we want to consider changing this title. Um, and I will admit, I was kind of reluctant at first. I was like, eh, it's fine. It's, you know, we don't need to do that. But I started thinking about it. And the thing that really kind of stuck, hit me, well, first of all, I'll, I'll say this. The title that we ended up going with, um, I think, came from the, the guy who designed our poster, who, I'm sorry, I don't know his name, because producers were kind of interacting with him, uh, kind of middleman style. So I never actually spoke to him. But he, I think, was the one that came up with, hey, call it Ghost of the Void. And my mm. first thought was, well, that's a weird title. And then my mm. second thought was like, hmm, that's a weird title. Kind of works. Um, and it, it was interesting too, because it, it actually, it reminded me of a, a line that I had put in the pitch deck when I was shopping this thing around. And I, and I can't remember exactly what it said, but it said something to the effect of um, the lot is, that place you find yourself when you've hit rock bottom, when you've lost everything, when you don't have any hope left. And the masked strangers are, you know, the demons that wait for you there or, or something to that effect. Um, I, I remember that line. It's like, well, this title actually kind of, you know, works with that, that original pitch that I, that I made it. So yeah, let's go with it. You know, um, so yeah, I would say like that. Ultimately, this is you know the void is that that hopelessness that people so often find themselves in, mm-hmm. and you know the ghosts are the things that keep coming for you, even though you think you have nothing left to give. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So uh, I know you talked a lot, of, a little bit about this before, but I just want to circle back to it. It seems like you went through a lot of drafts in the script in the writing process, from what you told me. Uh, how many did you go through and what was that like and how much of it was improvised or used in the film? Oh, man, I don't, I, I don't, I don't keep track of drafts. I, I have no idea how people even, I don't, I don't know how people could write like three drafts, you know, yeah. like here's the, here's the first draft. Here's the second draft. Here's a polish. It's like, that's no, it's more like, here's a draft hold on, let me go back. Here's another draft. Yeah. Hold on. I changed the scene. Can you read it again? It's like, it's the <laughs> whole thing. Um, but yeah, it, you know, it's, um, we, we ended up, we cut a lot uh, from the script because of limitations of the shoot. We ended up having, um, you know, things happen. It's a low budget film and, and you, you know, indie filmmakers, you gotta, you gotta kind of hustle and, you know, figure out things on the fly. 
which I think is true for any film, but it's especially true on indie film. And, you know, we, we had, we had stuff come up, you know, we lost a location at one point, um, had like to regroup. This is like right at the end of, of the shoot. We were shooting the flashback scenes actually. And we lost the original location, location for the flashback scene. And we had two days left of shooting. Um, and we just lost one of them. And so, and we didn't have a location. So producers are scrambling to find something. Um, they did, and they came through, found that location. But now I'm faced with the dilemma of, I've got two days worth of scenes that I now have to shoot in one day. Something's gotta go. Um, and so I actually sat down with the actors and talked to them about like, what do we need to shoot most in order to tell these character stories? And we kind of worked it out together. Um, just looking at it and looking at it from a character standpoint of what matters most here. Um, yeah. So yeah, we lost a lot there, which, you know, once, once we get the final cut of the movie, I'm looking at it going like, well, we didn't need any more of those flashbacks. So I think we're probably, we're probably good there. Although I would say that I, I think, well, no, it's, <laughs> we got what we needed and, and, I, and I'm proud of the movie that came out of it. Um, you know, it, it's, um, well, what was your original question? Was you're talking about like how much of the scenes end up the movie and, and that kind of thing, how much was improv. There was not, not a, not a lot of just a ton of improv, but there was some, um, and I, I like to encourage that with the actors, um, right. to just bring their own kind of moment to the scene. Um, yeah. actually now that you mentioned it. Um, there was one scene that was entirely um, improvised and it was the scene that you mentioned earlier where she, they're talking about the book. Um, I had written something for that, but I would, I got in the moment. And I just told Michael and Tedgers, like, let's just throw this out and let's just, here's the main point that we need to kind of touch upon and let's just roll with it and see, see what comes out of it. Um, and, and I just, I love, that's one of my favorite scenes, I think, because of that, because mm -hmm. of just this interaction that they have that just um, feels so real and, you know, kind of petty on Michael's part and, you know, frustrated on Tedra's. They just, there was just so much kind of genuine stuff happening there. Yeah. Uh, what do you th want the audience to think about when the film wraps up as it doesn't wrap on a, usual easy horror film note where it's like okay this one died this one survived that's it hey let's go home that was a fun movie yeah um yeah you know it is a bit of you know it, it's a it's a it's a it's a I don't say, well again we're getting spoiler territory just to say it's a downer to figure out you know what happened right <laughs> one way or another um but you know i i, I was saying this with uh this guy before um that you know for me again going back to horror as a genre sort of being being an outlet being something that you know allows us to sort of face our anxieties and face our fears from the safety of a theater seat and just be able to you know say there's something i think therapeutic i think especially for horror fans that even if the film is you know kind of you know dark and and um shows kind of the worst outcome of a situation it's not necessarily that that's the message right 
if there is a message and I don't really like messages I just kind of like feelings I just want to make you feel something about this thing but if there was a message I would say I would hope that most people kind of have some sense of hopefulness from it um at least at least again at least horror fans at least at least people who do find therapy through this genre um to be able to look at this and say and you know people who've been in the situation who who are struggling to get by who do experience that anxiety to sit back and watch this movie portray it in this sort of symbolic way and walk away from it going well i can do better than that you know i can <laughs> i can take care of myself uh better than those two have um right. you know so yeah, yeah that's 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 kind of my that's my view of it anyway yeah no it's a interesting view to have indeed uh if tyler and jen did this is an easy one do you think if they just stayed at a motel the whole situation could have been avoided <laughs> uh yeah maybe um probably so i mean um you know it, it it would be interesting to 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 sort of think on that as a I think it's like a thought experiment of how, because there's, you know, there's two things happening in this, in this movie. There's the, there's the harassment that they're experiencing. And then there's their own drama that's sort of unraveling. And one is kind of influencing the other, but yeah, that's a good point. Like if they just had each other, it didn't have the extra added stress of that night. What would, where would they have ended up? Yeah. You know, yeah. Maybe a more, maybe a more, uh, I'm sure the drama was bubbling up and it would eventually because that, you know, that resentment intention was, was there from the beginning. Um, yeah. but it might've come out maybe a more healthy way if they had a neutral place to kind of hash it out. Right. Right. Yeah. Instead of somewhere like right out in the middle of the open where they're unsafe. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Where did the idea of just having it take place in the uh, in the parking lot come from? Yeah, again, that goes back to just you know low budget movie rules, you know, um, yeah. looking at it and saying like, well, I, I need to I need to keep it as simple and you know as I can. Now, you know, my mistake there. Well, yeah, my mistake was the idea of making a film on, on a low budget and, and keeping it in one location is simplicity. I made mine the middle of the night in a dark parking lot. So I kind of like shot myself in the foot in that regard. Cause it's, <laughs> it's a, it was, it was, you know, huge. It was a, like a whole undertaking every night, just trying to shoot in this pitch black parking lot that we had to build a lighting setup for every night from the ground up. Um, it was it was pretty crazy, but theoretically, the idea was try to make a movie that you know simple in one place. Um, and yeah, you know, I wrote the script also very. Uh, you know, it was I kept the script as basic as I could in terms of the location because I, you never know what you're going to get. You know, yeah. Um, you never know once you start doing location scouts, and I didn't want too much of the story to rely on a whole bunch of elements that we had to seek out and find so it was just a parking lot in woods um and i figured whatever else we found would be bonus um and so we i was i was very happy when we found a parking lot that had playgrounds um on it because i, I that was added a nice 
liminal quality to the to the location i felt like yeah. but even like you know i i i did write in the script that there there would be this chain link fence dividing these woods from a country club mm. and then that becomes a whole thing that finding a country club with free line and a chain link fence was a huge app we found one in all of chicago <laughs> that kind of worked for that um so yeah that's 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 the thing about locations man it's like you get too specific then yeah you're gonna have to you gotta be flexible yeah yeah so what was the most uh or actually i should say you you mentioned you filmed in chicago uh what made you decide to stick with that for the uh movie um well it 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 came well it's it's from a chicago production company you know seth is the uh, producer he's a good friend of mine we go back a long ways um and so you know he he kind of came to me we had just finished his first feature echo boomers and he came to me and said hey man i I had helped him write that that script and i was kind of a co-producer ish on it um but he came to me after that was wrapped up and was like hey you know you've got something that you want to do just say the word and i will pull it together um and i kind of came around and said like you know now that you mention it i do have this script i'm trying you know i was kind of at, at one point wanting to maybe do it myself and i live in arkansas right now so you know mm. that was kind of i thought if if nothing else like i'm going to shoot it here in my hometown and you know to figure it out uh but as Seth's offering let me just see what he can pull together so he starts pulling together the money he starts pulling together all the people and you know because of that you know it just it was a given that it would be shot in chicago um but um but it was great because it chicago has such great film people and, and it was we had such a great crew um yeah. people that just really stepped up and, and gave it their all um, so I'm glad we, I'm glad we shot here for sure. Yeah. So what would you say, uh, was the most rewarding part of the production? Hmm. I, I would say working with Michael and Tedra, um, mm-hmm. more than anything and working with Nathan too, my DP. Um, but yeah, working with Michael and Tedra was, was the, was the part that I felt best about, um, when all you know, when everything was falling apart, I, I knew that they were delivering something that worked. So um, that was always the you know the most uh, confident thing of the whole shoot for sure. Yeah, and uh, I know you touched on it before. You said it was kind of difficult filming in the middle of the parking lot in the middle of the night. What was that the most difficult aspect of the production, or what was the most difficult aspect? Um. I think it was, I think it's kind of everything together, really. Um, You know, it's, it's very cold. We were shooting in November. It was freezing. Um, As I said, that, that parking lot did not have a street light. There was no natural light at all. And so, you know, every night the crew would get there, the G&E team would just start building up, you know, this whole, you know, our, our phony, street light and our moonlight and everything um and they're doing that in pitch black because because 
we that parking lot was actually at a school. Um, well, it was at a church, but it was a church slash school. But um, so it had kids there until like you know six o'clock before we could even get on the premises because we could not be on the premises when the kids were there. Um, mm. So there was no option for us to even start shooting when there was light outside um, for them to to work by. So that we get there pitch black and they're walking around with their you know their flashlights on their little bands and <laughs> just getting it done but you know again in the cold mud you know just it was it was pretty rough yeah yeah um and thank god you had the cast that you did because they did a great job and mm-hmm. now we have ai replacing actors stand-ins and de-aging them how much do you think we should rely on that technology or should we even rely on it instead of, could it ever replace an actor is what I'm asking. Um, I don't think it will anytime soon. Um, that's for sure. Um, I, you know, I, here's my thing with AI. I think by the time it can, by the time AI advances to a point where it can tell a story and create a performance that is intuitive enough and insightful enough to be, you know, to, to really trigger that algorithm that runs our brains. By the time that happens, I think we're probably screwed as a species anyway, you know, <laughs> uh, would the computers know us well enough to create that? Um, yeah, I think, I think the arts will be kind of the least of our worries. Um, mm. But no, I don't think that's, I don't see that happening soon. I do think that from a writing standpoint, at least it well, and from any standpoint, really, um, you know, it's not, I think what the, all the unions are, are concerned with now are, it's not so much what AI can do. It's what the studios think AI can do mm. and how they might leverage those misconceptions to underpay people. Um, so yeah, that's the big thing you know, right now, I, but they're, they're doubling down on it. You know, if you read all the, the news, they're, they're all about like, no, we're, we're hiring people to figure this out for us. And it's like, mm. yeah, I don't, I don't think you're there yet. And you're shooting yourself in the foot. If you don't going to at least keep your actors and writers around. Yeah. Until you figure that stuff out. Yeah. I don't think a computer could ever replicate what a human could feel. But sure. we never know. Maybe it could one day because they say that in all the movies. Like a computer can't feel like you take Steven Spielberg's AI that yeah. that was designed to love. And look what happened there. But right. uh, that's one of my favorite movies. But no, me, me too. very underrated. Oh, really? Yeah, I, I loved it. I did a whole episode on it and how it's overlooked. And I think now as years have gone by, people have like gone back and looked at it and been like, actually, that was a pretty decent movie. Yeah. I think yeah. it's ahead of its time, and but I, I have heard seen people coming back around to it. Yeah, I mean, I'll never forget like when I saw that movie in the theater as a kid, and I went to the bathroom, and like in the bathroom there was like these two guys. They were like, "That was so stupid." He was playing. He was praying to a statue for like two thousand years. <laughs> what was the point of that? I'm like, you guys didn't get the movie at all, <laughs> right? Like I was crying after that movie, and people were like making fun of it. I'm like, that's yeah. <laughs> but 
Uh, yeah, before we go, I just have some fun questions, some fun rapid question fires to uh, shoot off. And then, sure. uh, yeah, that's it. So what is your fa- what was your favorite horror film growing up? Well, I didn't really watch horror growing up because I wasn't allowed to. Um, um, I loved horror as an idea. And, you know, the best I could do was like Goosebumps books and stuff like that for the longest time. Now, I was allowed to watch Jaws and Jaws, you know, was one of my favorite movies and still is and is an all time great film. Um, As a kid, I didn't think of it as a horror film, but I guess technically it is. So that one would probably be. Yeah. But once I got older and, and really was, you know, could do what I want, I started seeking out all those horror all the horror films that i ever wanted to see and i couldn't say which one was my favorite yeah there's a lot to choose from jaws is kind of like a that's more of like a thriller than a horror yeah you know but it is a horror album especially the beginning plays like a horror film where the girl's swimming out on her own and then she gets eaten so you know it's i think actually there was uh on Channel Bravo, they had like a list of like a hundred horror films, and they rated Jaws as number one. I'm like, that's an odd choice. <laughs> like you would think yeah. it'd be The Exorcist or something like that, right? Right. So, what's your favorite guilty pleasure film? Hmm. I don't know. Um, maybe like the Friday the Thirteenth franchise, right? As a yeah. whole, you know, um, yeah. something like that. For me, it was a um, Halloween franchise. Yeah. 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 Uh, I think my favorite '80s horror franchise is A Nightmare on Elm Street, but I don't yeah. so much consider that a guilty pleasure because I think they're well, at least the first one is legit good. It's a great film, so I don't, you know, Friday Thirteenth. I consider more guilty pleasure because, you know, it's a little bit more schlocky and a little bit more <laughs> of that kind of thing. But you know, it's fun. Yeah. And what's the worst film you've ever seen? Oh, gosh. Um, hmm. Yeah, that's always a tough one. Like, I had to think for a while, like, mine had to be Freddy Got Fingered. But yeah, I never yeah. saw that one. I mean, I think about a lot of, like, just like the super, you know, bottom of the barrel kind of, um, you know, low budget films of, uh, that you can tell somebody just really just shot it on a camcorder and threw some really <laughs> bad CG effects on it and are marketing, you know, with like really good cover art <laughs> to right. try to try to sell this thing. Um, I couldn't say, I, you know, I don't, I don't want to necessarily like call anybody's film out necessarily. Um, right. right. That's that, a nice thing to do. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, have you ever fallen asleep during a movie? No, like at the I don't theater. Think so. okay. I no, I'm a I'm a I'm a very picky sleeper, so uh, I've never had that. Yeah. I don't sleep on planes. I can't sleep in a car. I can't you oh, know, wow. I gotta sleep in my own bed. That's oh wow, yeah. yeah. I I kinda used to have that. I'll fall asleep in a car in a plane, but yeah, like when it comes to beds, it's like unless it's my bed, I'm just like and I can't <laughs> fall asleep. Uh uh, what's a movie you like to watch when you're feeling down? Hmm. I'm feeling down. Um, yeah, if we're, you know, if we're, if we're talking horror, you know, again, something like A Nightmare on Elm Street where I can just shut off and just enjoy, you know, the familiarity of it. 
Mm. Um, but you know, something like Jaws, something like Jurassic Park, you know, those childhood favorites that just are just good and straightforward. And I can just, you know, like I yeah. said, just shut down and just in, enjoy the nostalgia of it. Right. And what's your favorite film watching when you're feeling up? Hmm. Maybe same answer. I don't know. Uh, <laughs> it's, okay. it's all the same for me. You know, it's it's up down. You know, it's if if I'm if I'm happy, I want to watch something I, I really love, and if I'm unhappy, I want to watch something that I really love. So right, right. Um, have, have you seen Barbie or Oppenheimer yet? Not yet. No. Yeah. No. Yeah. They're they're both great. It's funny. Yeah. People hear, always like, which it. one should I see? And I'm like, well, it depends what you want, but usually. I mean, Barbie's an easier one to digest. Yeah, for sure. Uh, I'm hoping I, I might the next few weeks are so busy for me, and I'm really hoping that Oppenheimer gets a second release in a few months, so that I have the chance to get out to the IMAX and watch it properly. Yeah, because there's not very. They had a 70 millimeter projection where I was at, which I was surprised mm-hmm. they did that at, because they had the edit the the AMC in the mm. river East in uh, Chicago. And I didn't even know they had a film projector there. And I could yeah. tell it's film because like in the beginning, it just flashed with the little numbers. And I'm like, Oh, okay. yeah. I'm like they actually pulled that off. I mean, it looked amazing, but yeah. Uh, and then, Oh, what do you think is better film or digital? Well, um, you know, I've never worked with film. I, you know, I'm a, I'm a newbie to the, to the, medium so you know i was caught up on digital um i will say though that you know in recent years i i've started to really notice the beauty of film and you know i'm I'm kind of starting to understand why so many filmmakers are kind of you know um uh, uh you know all about it um at the same time, though, you know, Roger Deakins uses digital now and he's fine with it. And I mean, he's terrific. I think mm-hmm. there's so many different advantages to both mediums. Film mm-hmm. has that such that, you know, beautiful depth to it. Um, but at the same time, digital is more versatile and it, you, know, you can do more with it. I think about a movie like uh, The Revenant mm-hmm. and the things they were able to, the imagery they were able to, able to create. Um, in that film um, was just incredible. So yeah, and those natural I think the digital nature is what allowed them to be in those elements under those conditions and get that imagery. So right. yeah, well, I I want to thank you for coming on. Where can we find your? Where can we find Ghosts of the Void? Um, as as a uh, to watch it, you mean like as a yeah? Um, well, um. We're, we're, we're still kind of working out our distribution thing. So I don't know exactly when that's going to come out, but we are talking about it. I don't know what I'm allowed to say yet about that. Um, but as far as the immediate future, we are officially premiering it Monday um, at the Gene Siskel Theater in Chicago. Um, and then after that, it's going to play at a various um, festivals. There's one coming up in New York. Um, but I think uh, for people nationwide, um, the, the most immediate opportunity to see it will be uh, 
um, I think starting August 16th, it's going to play in the virtual program of Popcorn Frights. Um, so that's very exciting. Uh, that's a great festival. Um, they've been awesome. So, um, so yeah, that one, you know, that, the exciting thing about that one is it's virtual. So you can, you can pay your 10 bucks and watch it, you know, at any point during those few days that it's up. Um, but if you're in Chicago, um, come out on Monday and see it, see it in person and it's on a big screen. So. And it's on the, at the Gene Siskel Film Center? Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right. Excellent. Part of the Midwest Film Fest. Ah, uh, yes. That's that's what I figured it was. I think I remember mm-hmm. reading about that. So, thank you, Jason, for coming on. Mm-hmm. Jason Miller, director of Ghosts of the Void. Uh, so, guys, when it's distributed and really uh, out there, we'll let you know. Please, uh, I'll I'll be sure to keep track of it. And uh, otherwise, thank you for coming on and talking about your film. Yeah. Thank you. All right. With that, everyone, if you want, if you liked what you heard today or were watching, check out You'll Probably Agree. That is YPA Reviews, and the YPA stands for You'll Probably Agree. You can check out all my work at ypareviews.com. All right, see you, folks.